From Washington, I'm David Schultz, and this is Talking Tax. You've certainly heard the phrase, if it's too good to be true, it probably is. Well, that applies in a big way to the tax world, and specifically to a tax arrangement that's been popular among some wealthy Americans for the past several years. The scheme involves setting up a unique type of retirement account in the tiny Mediterranean country of Malta and storing a ton of cash and other assets there tax-free. The genesis of all of this came out of a, shall we say, creative reading of a tax treaty between the U.S. and Malta, but it also stems from years of IRS underfunding, something that Congress only recently rectified. Bloomberg tax and accounting reporter Michael Bologna just published a deep, deep dive into how these Maltese retirement accounts worked, and more importantly, why they were able to work for so long. And I spoke to him about what all of this says about how wealthy people perceive the IRS's enforcement capabilities. But first, I asked Michael just how he started working on this story. I guess it was a little bit by accident. Uh, I was at a actually an out-of-town meeting, and I started receiving uh, phone calls from uh, a person who had been a source of mine for a while. And uh, this person started telling me about these multi-pension plans and why this was a big problem. Uh, I, I, I truthfully didn't really know much or anything about this at all. And so kind of uh, told this person I I need to study this and then uh, we could talk more about it and then uh, found out that yeah this was a substantial problem it had come to the attention of the IRS and there were criminal summonses going uh, going on um, but even at that point I wasn't sure this was going to be a story I'd I'd write about now I, I certainly don't want you to divulge any of your sources but I couldn't help but notice you got a hold of some documents and some recordings uh, in the course of working on this story, that's always pretty exciting for for a reporter. Can you describe what that was like and what you were feeling when you first laid eyes on those uh, those materials? Yeah. Well, the, the source who kind of tuned me into this in the first place uh, down the road put me in touch with people who were actually promoting these multi-pension schemes. And one of those people in particular really opened my eyes to this world, how this was being promoted, what the terms of these pension arrangements were, um, and how, how I could study them. This person also had recordings of confidential meetings where groups of promoters uh, discussed some of the legal issues and discussed uh, fighting back against the, the IRS. So um, I, I pretty soon got a soup to nuts uh, understanding of uh, what the scheme was, how it was promoted, and a lot of the people that were involved. All right. So let's get into how these pension plans work. You know, I have to admit, I feel like I'm pretty good at geography. I follow you know, international news. I'm not sure I could even point out Malta on a map. Uh, it's such a small, obscure country. Why Malta? Why are these plans started in Malta? And yeah, why Malta? Right. There was a treaty between the United States and Malta uh, going back to 2008 and codified uh, three or four years later by the U.S. Senate. And within this tax treaty, and it's common for the United States to have tax treaties with with multiple countries around the world, there was some, depending on who you ask, ambiguous language in there that allowed for the creation of very tax advantaged uh, retirement programs. And let's let's really let's really get into how tax advantaged they were because this was sh- all, you know kind of shocking to me just how 
much these plans allowed you to avoid taxes. Can you explain, you know, what types of assets you could put in there and how you could avoid taxes doing this? Right. Well, and I think a lot of people know what an IRA is and a, and a Roth IRA is in particular. The promoters, the people involved with this, interpreted this portion of the tax treaty with Malta to say that you could have these supercharged uh, Roth IRA structures. And so while in the United States, you and I can only uh, really put something like $6,500 or $7,500 a year of your earned income into a Roth IRA, and then take the money out tax-free when you reach retirement age. These multi-pension arrangements were, were quite different because you could put any amount, there was no limit on how much money you could stick into these plans. And then on top of that too, you could put more than cash in them. You could put a building that you owned or some cryptocurrency or securities or bonds, all kinds of assets that any individual might have could be stuck into one of these multi-pension plans. And then any income, dividends, uh, interest, capital gains, or, or on those appreciated assets could be removed tax-free. And this could be done as early as age 50. And can you give me a sense of the scope of this? You know, how many, roughly speaking, how many people were taking advantage of this? And what was the dollar amount in terms of what they were storing in Malta? From what I was able to discern from the reporting, uh, we, we don't really know. But the one thing I was able to uh, tune in on was that there was at least one large uh, trust company in Malta that had a stable of American clients that were sitting on about one and a half billion dollars of income that was unreported to the IRS. And then when you kind of figure what the taxes would be on that, uh, we determined that would be about $360 million in uh, in taxes to the U.S. government and $180 million to units of state and local government that probably should have been paid or, or should be paid at some point. That's a pretty big chunk of change. Um, but the other thing that really stood out to me from your story is that in this case, it almost seems like a lot of wealth advisors uh, you know, who were not involved in this and some who even were involved in this knew that this was probably illegal when they were doing it, knew that this was violating the tax code while they were doing it and they were still doing it. Can you explain that dynamic that, you know, the people who were setting up these these supercharged pension funds pretty much had a good idea that this was not complying with tax law? Well, I mean, I guess it depends on which ones you talk to, because I think there's a lot of folks out there who were involved in this activity who continue to believe that this was uh, a legitimate uh, pension structure. And to the extent that there was any ambiguity in the treaty, you at the IRS and Treasury should have cleared that up immediately, and they never did it. So you can't really punish us on the back end uh, for that. But you also, you talked to a lot of wealth advisors who said, like, I wouldn't tell my clients to touch this with a 10-foot pole. This is this is really, really fishy. Well, when I, when I first learned about this, I, I really tried to talk to a lot of people that were involved in this and saw this at the ground level. And, and what I found was people were kind of sorted into two camps. I mean, there were wealth advisors, accountants, and attorneys who bought into this idea that this Malta Treaty permitted these kind of structures. And then they worked pretty hard to defend that position. Uh, and then there was a, a, another group who looked at this and said, this doesn't make any sense at all. I mean, uh, several people who said to me to the effect, you know, this doesn't pass the smell test. There was one wealth advisor uh, out in California 
there were a lot of people that were asking him to sell these things. And his opinion was, you got to be kidding me. There's legal tax avoidance, but this is straight up evasion, or that's what he told me. So there, there was a group of people who were true believers, and then there was a, 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 a much larger group who thought, I'm not touching this with a 10-foot pole. Yeah. But it also sounds like a part of why this sort of went on for so long is that I think a lot of people felt like even if this is evasion or even if this is fishy, the IRS isn't going to do anything about it. They're not going to audit us because the IRS – has such a you know diminished capacity to audit these kinds of things. Can you explain that dynamic about where you know they just weren't afraid of the IRS? Well, I, I, I have the impression from the reporting uh, and people who attended these confidential meetings that they were pretty uh, cocky and smug uh, about this whole uh, endeavor. They thought either that the IRS would never challenge it or if they did, they could sort of outrun the agency they were never going to be punished in this scenario and and neither were their clients. Yeah. I mean, let's get more into that. You saw the recordings of zoom meetings from wealth advisors who were, you know, helping their clients invest in these, these supercharged Maltese pension funds. That's pretty remarkable. Tell me what the tone was like before the IRS kind of cracked down on this and then how that changed after June of this year when the IRS decided, no, we're going to, you know, really shut this down. I, I think there was, like I said, a, a smugness to the whole thing. They had their their legal reasoning and they had their understanding that, uh, at least in their view, that the IRS was, as uh, one of my sources said, uh, too simple, too lazy or too stupid to really figure out what they were doing. And so they were going to pursue it with full force. And there was a lot of money to be made. I mean, even even if you weren't a wealthy person involved in this, if you were an attorney or a wealth advisor, there were substantial fees uh, that you were going to earn by uh, getting your clients into these uh, schemes. So as I mentioned, though, uh, the IRS has decided that, that it is not going to just stand by and watch this. Uh, this summer, it decided to really go after these? What what did the IRS decide to do in, in June of this year? There's things that did happen this past summer that would make you think that the, the, the party is over. And then there's qualities to this that make you wonder if the IRS is serious about enforcement here. But, but there were hundreds of criminal summonses that were served on both taxpayers and promoters involved in these schemes. Now, that's not um, something that the IRS has ever talked to me about. They contend, you know, this is an area of uh, ongoing uh, investigation and litigation, and they're not going to comment with reporters on that subject. But the agency also put out this uh, this regulation making multi-pension plans so-called listed transactions. So that would require an additional amount of transparency when people take these tax positions and when they're disclosed. And that would kind of open the door to uh, a further scrutiny by the IRS. So they were doing something sort of in a regulatory sense and in an enforcement sense with Malta. But since this summer, we don't really know where this has gone. Right. So, yeah, you indicated there are some questions about how seriously the IRS really is taking this. Can you explain that a little bit more? Why uh, is there reason to believe that the IRS still isn't as serious as it should be or as it needs to be when it comes to these pension plans? Well, I know after the summonses were issued this confidential group continued to lobby for leniency or for the agency to ignore this. 
Uh, I know there's a lot of, there's several large law firms that are pressing the agency to drop this entire investigation or to, you know, turn down the temperature on this whole thing. So I'm, I, I, don't, I don't know how it's going to end. Actually, something like this, shutting down a, a tax structure like this could take uh, a long time anyway. Uh, if there's going to be litigation, if there's going to be um, a grand jury investigation, or there's going to be efforts by the IRS to, to curtail this. So th- it was going to take a, a long time anyway, but we, we just don't know where it is at the moment. Okay, and finally, I want to talk about kind of the the big picture here and the climate that sort of allowed this situation to develop. And that is, you know, that for many, many years, the IRS has been severely underfunded, understaffed, and just didn't have the capability to do really sophisticated audits uh, on things like this. That's changed now that Congress has given the IRS funding. Do you think that that's kind of what was behind all this, that uh, when uh, tax advisors and tax lawyers and wealthy people believe that the IRS doesn't have the capability to do sophisticated audits, that schemes like this will happen? Well, I think so. I mean, that's part of uh, what led to sort of the smug attitude about catch us if you can. And and even at one of the meetings, these confidential meetings, there was some discussion about this new tranche of funding for the IRS. And uh, and it was during that period when um, the debt ceiling was getting uh, renegotiated and uh, House Republicans were able to claw back about $20 billion of the $80 billion that the agency was going to get. And I think there was a lot of snickering about that. And, and then there was hopes that even more of that $80 billion was going to get clawed back. So um, I think I think you have to look at tax shelter as an industry. I mean, this is one scheme that's going on at the moment. There there might be 15 or 20 schemes to benefit primarily wealthy U.S. citizens to hide their wealth uh, through some type of structure or another for tax benefit. And even if the Malta situation ever got mopped up, I think those people would just gravitate towards the next scheme. There's there's seemingly a constant source of these, and um, and it seems to always take the IRS a couple years to really get a beat on them. That was Bloomberg Tax and Accounting Reporter Michael Bologna, and that's it for today's podcast. You can find up-to-the-minute news and the latest tax and accounting developments at our website, news.bloombergtax.com. The website, once again, is news.bloombergtax.com. Today's Talking Tax was produced by myself, David Schultz. Naomi Jagoda is our editor. From Washington, I'm David Schultz. Thanks for listening. In a global tax landscape that changes by the day, it's what you don't know that can leave you exposed. At Bloomberg Tax, we provide market-leading intelligence and practical applications to help tax professionals work smarter, faster, and more accurately. Our solutions provide the insights you need for game-changing outcomes. To revolutionize your performance in real time, the difference is Bloomberg Tax. Learn more at pro.bloombergtax.com.